and welcome to Die Hard on a Podcast, episode 66. Episode Ooh. 66. We are you sure about that? Up that. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm actually positive this time for once in forever that we're actually on episode 66. So that's kind of kind of good. Uh, we're doing two in a two in a row. <laughs> we did. Two in a row. Well, you know, it's weird how uh, the like, and I don't want to say the quality of the movies is, but like, I, I wanted to even start that off that these two movies were the first time in a while where. You know, like, I really didn't have to say, oh, I'm going to make time for these movies or like, <laughs> oh, I got to go back and finish this movie. You know, like, I just went right through them uh, without even thinking about it. Yeah, I was, I, I've, I've seen Eighth Grade before and I watched it again. It's it's one that it's, it's, a, it's rough to like say that I've watched it twice because it is a kind of a, I don't know how you, why you would watch it more than once. It's, yeah. it's a good, it's, it's, it's fantastic, but it's so just like, yeah, that was my eighth grade. Yeah, that was it was terrible. so was it was so good for that because like it was it was painful to watch because and like I mean it's a, it's kind of special that we're talking about it too because mm. you know um, Trevor and I actually went through the eighth grade together so you know he knows how bad it sucked for me and I know exactly how bad it sucked for him and uh, <laughs> watching the watching the movie they captured that like really well like that whole like everything's awkward and you just want to feel like you're normal and nothing makes you feel normal um one of the big things that like really kind of like broke my heart about it is i'm i'm pretty sure you know that i live with um two twin girls like for the last five years that i've been living with these two twin girls and I really identified with the father in that situation because, you know, they're in middle school and what kills me is it's like, oh my God, that's so terrible. And I know that like, as a grown up, there's nothing I can do, you know, like there's nothing I can do to help it. Yeah. And the dad, the dad, you can see like doing stuff that you've seen your parents do and having a kid myself, I see myself starting to do as well. Where you just can't help yourself but to like annoy them, even though you you think you're helping them. Right. <laughs> you right. still like will say something just because you think it's what they want to hear or what you think yeah. they should hear, but they don't they don't want to hear anything at that moment. So it's like right, it's you know, best like, just to it, be quiet. <laughs> it was actually so like it hit home with me on that point so much that I actually called my dad to tell him that I loved him. Um, wow <laughs> yeah because you know because i remember like i mean because like looking back you know my dad was actually younger than me like younger than mm-hmm. i am now when i was going through middle school you know and he was also going through a divorce at that time and you know like it just broke break, broke my heart because i was like man i was such an asshole to him like he would go out of his way to try and help me and try and do things for me and i'd just be so mad at him like why are you interfering in my life you're just making it so much worse uh, and like yeah. now, you know, being an adult and being like, well, hey, he was only human, and you know, and he was probably going through a freaking totally shit time himself, and I didn't help that. Like it just made me feel terrible. So I called. I didn't mention it to him. I was just like, hey, dad, just wanted to <laughs> let you know I loved you, and we should get together soon. <laughs> I I did not do that. So <laughs> okay. Um, and are, are you familiar with Bo Burnham's stand-up comedy at all? No, no, not at all. That's what I found was like so surprising about this is that it's so far away from what his stand-up is like. You know, he's he's kind of goofy. He does a little social commentary, but mostly he's just sort of this goofy, funny kid, and that doesn't really come through in the movie at all. There's none of that sort of goofy humor or even the social commentary that he does. Uh, like, there's none of that in in the movie at all, which I was really impressed with. 
Uh, the only thing I know from him is like I don't know. If, like, have you seen The Big Sick, where he's like a co-star on that? Uh, I have not. And he does like it's about it's about like Kamara Ninjani. It's like a like a very semi autobiographical film about him and his girlfriend, and what they went through. But like Bo Berman's like one of his friend comics. Uh-huh. And I was just wondering if I haven't seen anything about it. I, I was wondering if like the way he does stand up then there is how he does it now but I don't think so because I think he was kind of like he seems like a very kind of like narcissistic comic in this movie yeah and th- it sounds like he's probably not like actually like that so yeah, he he actually he makes fun of himself a lot in his stand up yeah. comedy and it's one of the things that really makes himself so relatable or makes him so relatable is that you know he's constantly poking fun at um, himself and, and a lot of it like kind of explores like uh, how how what it's like to to be 25 years old and be super successful and playing out you know playing for i'm like well i can't really relate to that um because when i was 25 years old i think i lived in a car but (laughs) exactly exactly i think i was yeah i was fucking working at like blockbuster trying to make movies on my own with nobody nobody helping yeah trying to figure dumb shit out yeah um, yeah, but you know, trying I, to pay car insurance. <laughs> it, it also goes to show in the like the craft of filmmaking because eighth grade has the exact same problem that I think Roma had, which it didn't really have much of a plot. You know, I mean, it mm. was just like, hey, this is this girl going through the eighth grade. <clears throat> but for some reason, in eighth grade, that was really it was still really compelling. And mm-hmm. I didn't even think about it until it was over. I was like, well, that's the same thing about freaking Roma, where it didn't really have any kind of plot to it. But I, like, hung on it completely and, you know, didn't stop watching through the whole thing. Uh, and now, it might have had more to do with the fact that I had trouble relating to, like, a Mexican nanny who was pregnant, <laughs> like, way more <laughs> than relating to, you know, a 13-year-old girl trying to, like, fit in and get a boyfriend. Um but yeah, yeah, I think I think that helps too, and I think the like kind of bookends of like her like videos and stuff like that, and kind of like having the structure of basically like the last week of eighth grade type of thing kind of helps helps it along, and I think I think her her arc is you know pretty definitive, like you know yeah, but yeah, she we- comes to terms with it, kind of like being like. I mean, it's one of those things where it's like that never happens. So like, it's like it's like within a week she becomes okay with like how she is and who she is and stuff. Right. <laughs> like, which is kind of like that never. I don't think that ever happens like that quickly. But yeah, but yeah, and her no. dad being so understanding so quickly. Like I don't know. It's like that dad being so articulate would never happen either. But right, like, I appreciated that scene a lot, and I think it was a really great scene. With her was, over the fire and stuff. It was it was so funny. I was actually at, right after, like immediately after I watched the movie, I was hanging out with one of the girls, and I was talking about how um, maybe that she could come uh, fishing with me and Paul, and I was like, you know, he's eighteen, but he's he's a really cool kid. And she was like, oh, well, an eighteen year old would never want to hang out with a thirteen year old. And immediately I went, well, but you're a really cool 13 year old. And then like, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh man, I shouldn't have said that because a 40 year old dude telling a 13 year old she's cool is actually telling her she's not cool. You know, like I should have just been like, yeah, whatever. Of course not. Like, duh. (laughs) Uh, So what about the, what about the other movie? Thunder Road? What'd you think of that? That one was also, uh, extremely like painful. And like, was it supposed to be comedy? Because I thought it was really, really funny. Like, I laughed the whole way through it. 
<laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those like 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 gray areas where it's like funny and sad at the yeah, same time. Yeah, because it, de- it definitely <laughs> was. And I, those are some of my favorite movies where, you know, it's the whole, like the whole time you're like, wow, this guy's life sucks, but at the same time, uh, you are like. Okay, this is hilarious. <laughs> um, I mean, I mean the best the best scene like one of the best scenes is when he get basically gets fired from being a cop, and he's outside the office just yelling at everybody and taking his clothes off. Yeah, and he's just like he's, he's like he's like remember that Paul you you brought you know you, I was sleeping in my car and you saw me that one time remember he's, he's like there's the one guy goes hey, I brought you breakfast uh-huh. and he goes he goes yeah I appreciate that. I appreciate that for them, but right now, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, well, and, and that, that, it's again, it's another movie that's extremely relatable because, you know, we've all had a time in our life as an adult where, you, you know, you're almost to that point where you just want to rip off your clothes and start waving a gun around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's almost like it's, it's, it's funny because both movies are kind of, are very similar because they're both basically about, in different aspects, basically, like a single dad and a daughter trying to, you know, kind of connect or kind of figure things out. Because at the um, in Thunder Road, like he has like joint custody with his with his like ex wife or whatever. So and he's just trying to figure out because his mom just died, like how to, you know, deal, deal with, with his daughter. Yeah, and you know, yeah. I didn't quite catch. Like, so I kind of saw similarities in those characters, uh, and you know, and maybe maybe I had looked away or something. But it, like, did it ever say like what happened to the mom? Like, did she overdose, or did the dad, like the stepdad, beat her up? I couldn't tell, like which one it was. I think she OD. There was like a shot of a bag of stuff, mm. and it was very. I couldn't quite t- like it was a weird bag of stuff, so I couldn't. I was like, that's gotta be like, like heroin, right? Right. Well, and she seemed like a druggie. But maybe, maybe it was she meth. Seemed, yeah, she seemed like she was all strung out on something through the throughout the course of the entire movie. But then, like you know, he makes a cut, like something like he's like, oh well, don't don't bring that guy around me, you know, and I, I, yeah. I won't be can't be trusted to do what. And I thought, well, maybe he beat her up or something. And then then I thought, no, they, they, she probably OD'd, and he's just blaming the dude for like her decline into being a druggie. Yeah, and having the the daughter find it out, I think that's just yeah. The guy was, and the guy, the guy, the guy was like when they were fighting for custody. The guy had said, I think, was implying that he was the one who's kind of like making his wife say say shit about him, right? So she could get just single custody, and he seemed kind of nefarious, like towards the end, I guess. Once yeah. you think back about the guy, yeah, and, and unfortunately, <clears throat> it's sad, but that's definitely like a real problem in today's society where. You know, I mean, people are dropping like flies. It's just kind of like the modern world. Yeah, I mean, the, the I mean, I read about this guy, and he like this was a short film first. Uh huh. So the opening was actually, I think, I don't know if he re- they must have refilmed it. I'm sure, but the very first shot, that like twelve minute uninterrupted shot of uh-huh. him at the funeral. Yeah. That was that was the short film. Okay, that was an amazing that monologue. Was like the... I, you know, like immediately, I was like, "Wow, this guy knows what he's doing." As far as not the director, but like I was like, "This actor really has his shit together that he can deliver uh, a monologue that's mm. that long and that well done with in one not maybe not one take, but in one you know uninterrupted shot." Yeah, it was. I mean, the actor is the director as well. Oh, okay. Okay. 
Um, he, he wrote it and directed it and started it. Yeah, <laughs> produced so, it. <laughs> see, so that, that definitely also makes me think that it was supposed to be kind of a black comedy because the actor's timing, like the comedian, or well, that guy's comedic timing was amazing. Yeah, I think he's he was. I was reading up on him too because the movie was nominated for Independent Spirit Awards. It was nominated for the John Cassavetes Award, right? Which is a which is a movie produced under two hundred thousand dollars. So it was one of those, and I think Eighth Grade won a bunch of actually won a bunch of Indie Spirit Awards this year. Well, and I knew Eighth Grade was tearing it all up because I'd seen um, you know press <clears throat> on how you know Eighth Grade took the whole indie world kind of by surprise it, it was this such an amazing film for being you know this kid's first attempt at a movie mm. um, i mean that's, that's the thing too when when you watch those when you watch thunder road in eighth grade i'm like yeah these are like some of the best movies i've seen this year mm-hmm. but then like comparing to what we watched last year i mean last week black panther and Roma, fine movies but would you say they're like couple of the best movies of the year. Yeah, not, uh, well, and, uh, neither, neither <laughs> of those movies I really thought were all that groundbreaking. Um, no. Where, where both of these movies I could use groundbreaking. And I, like I said, it kind of, it makes me excited to see what's going to happen with Bo Burnham in his future. Like I could kind of see him, uh, and as a stand-up, I never would have thought it, but I could kind of see him kind of going the Woody Allen route where, you know, his, mm-hmm. his uh, appreciation of comedy and his also like uh, obvious way to, that he can pull off dramas I could see him, you know, maybe in a few years making like an Annie Hall or a Manhattan, like something that's like really funny, but also really serious and, and kind of, you know, bigger than just your typical comedy or your typical drama. Yeah, because right now we don't really have anybody like that, honestly. No. I don't think. Not no. that I can think of. I mean, you could maybe say like Jim Jim Bush, maybe, but. I mean, he's like, over, he doesn't even like, he's not even like that. And he just makes his own movies, and, and, and you know, right? Like maybe twenty people know who he is that I know. It's like nobody knows who he is anymore, which is sad. Yeah, but. yeah. And he, you're right. And he's, and, and I still really enjoy his movies, but it's not like the '90s where he was kind of like, "Ooh, this dude's he's an indie master," and and like I, I actually some of his movies from back then I really like, but it's not like you know, Doom Generation I thought was a terrible movie. Oh, that's not him. That's oh. That's Greg Araki. He oh, sucks. Okay, my my bad. <laughs> that explains it. Um, now he did do uh, Buffalo '66, right? No, nah, that's Vincent Gallo. <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So then I'm completely not familiar with any of his films at all. I love Buffalo '66. <laughs> I thought that movie was great. Yeah, that that was a like Vincent Gallo like wrote, produced, directed, starred in that one. Okay. Which like that was an amazing movie, but then he did like Brown Bunny, which sucked ass. So oh, I never even saw that one, but but yeah, Buffalo yeah. '66. I remember like not even knowing what it was and watching it and being like, "Oh my god, that's so great!" Now part of it's because I love Christina Ricci so much, but also mm. um, because that movie was hilarious. It was so you know so dark and funny, and uh, and that's definitely my favorite uh, genre of movies is um, dark comedies, you know. Yeah, Vince Gallo is a tough one though to like get behind too because like he's such a apparently he's such a dick in real life. Like right. it's like really, it's always bad to be like, ah, oh, he made such a great like idiosyncratic like funny movie. Like he has talent, but then when he you realize that he thinks that also <laughs> of, of himself and yeah. thinks, thinks very highly of himself, then you're like, oh. Uh. Well, you know, honestly, it's <clears throat> one of those things where I've just kind of accepted that if you're talented enough to be like world famous you're probably yeah. a totally disgusting, awful, despicable <laughs> yes. human being. 
at this point yeah you know like it just seems like that's just the, the breaks is like when you're born like before you're born they're like okay what do you want your destiny to be and it's like oh i want to be like world famous i want everybody to love me and i want my art to you know reach millions of people and they're like okay but the trade-off is you have to be like a very very disgusting awful human being and you know it's like you almost like selling your soul where it's like oh okay i'll make that trade-off um i which which i never i never understand and i always think about it because it's like I have a hard enough time getting people to do things for me when I'm being nice. Yeah. Like, like what happens when I was being like, if I'm being a dickhead, like how, how do I, how does anybody get anything to like, anybody get anything done? Yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't know how you would like get anybody to like to do anything for you. If you're, you're such a right. Dick, well, but... now a hard ass, somebody who's a real dick would tell you, Oh, well you have to be a dick because nobody's going to do anything unless you bully them into it. Um, but, yeah. But the truth is like from working, I've worked in places where, we'll say like management is really uh, like nice and understanding versus places where managers are just bullies and they freaking browbeat you into doing like what they want. And yeah. I mean, having like the, the approach where you're like treat your employees well is so much more productive than the approach where, because when you're addicted to everybody, people just like ba basically do what like the very least amount of what they can possibly do. And then they actively go behind your back to undermine you, you know, whereas in the places I work where they're really good to people, people go out of their way to try and bring everybody else up. Um, but you know, who knows? <laughs> maybe it's because everybody pays them so it doesn't matter <laughs> right and I, and I mean and that's the long and short of it is you can you can get away with being a dick a lot more if you have money to throw around um you know or some sort of name for yourself you know that kind of thing like i, I think a lot of these people who are famous you know they probably didn't start out as despicable horrible disgusting human beings but you know money and fame kind of corrupted them into becoming that way yeah, cause I can see that because like I'm always like, man, once I get, I can pay people, that shit's gonna fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, like I mean, a good example of that is um, I read Motley Crue's autobiography, like written by all four members of the Motley Crue. Oh yeah, the dirt. Yeah, and that's gonna be made into a Netflix movie, which I'm really excited about because it's such a great book. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read anything about it, but I want I want to read the book. It sounds awesome. I I, I one thousand <laughs> percent recommend reading that book. It's so good. Like each chapter is is written um, by all four members. So, like, chapter one is, like, the beginning of Motley Crue, and it has Tommy Lee coming through and telling his side of the story of how Motley Crue <clears> got <throat> formed. And, like, it's so funny. There's a part in it where, um, like, Tommy Lee's like, yeah, yeah, he's like, I met Vince Neil at a party, and I knew he was a great singer, so I sent him, I, I gave him my address and my phone number so that we could get together and maybe make a band. And I was real excited, and then I didn't hear from him for six months, and it turns out he put his, you know, he put my phone number in his pants and then ran him through the wash so he couldn't call me. And then it goes to Vince Neil, and Vince Neil's like, yeah, I met Tommy Lee, and he annoyed the piss out of me, uh, and he gave me his number, and I just threw it away. And then when I saw him at a party again six months later, I felt bad about it, so I made up some bullshit about running it through the wash. <laughs> uh, but, like, what I was getting to was... Um, not Tommy Lee, I think it was Vince Neil. One of the members of Motley Crue has like a whole chapter dedicated to Axl Rose. And it talks about how when they met Axl Rose, he was a nobody. And he was just sort of hanging out in the scene. And he got into the scene because everybody thought he was such a nice, friendly person. And he was like super cool. Uh, and then, you know, because of his being friendly with everybody, he parlayed that into the deal for Appetite for Destruction. 
And then yeah. they said, you know, within five years, you couldn't even spend five mi minutes with him because he was such a prima donna dickhead and just like acted like he was better than everybody else and was fucking shitting on everybody around him. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, well, you know, was he always like that and just didn't have the clout to be like that? Or, you know, or was it just everybody telling him he was the greatest all the time finally <clears throat> got in his head and he started becoming like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, could, I could see myself doing that too. Like, honestly, like, to be like, but I could also be like, I see it happen too. It's like, well, that's how you're treated as you, like, in this, like, when you work on a movie or on set or whatever, you're a PA. So, like, you're, like, it used to be like, it's like, you're basically like, you know, you're going to get shit on the entire yeah. time. And that's your job. And, like, you like it because that's what the business you're in. And eventually you'll be able to move, move, move up in the ranks to be like producer, production manager, whatever. And then you get the shit on the PAs and, right. and like, and so it's just like, it's just like, and then it just like trickles down. So it's like, it's like a mentality in this business where it's like, you just eat a bunch of shit until you can fucking dish it dish out to it somebody. Out. Right. And you would think, <clears throat> I mean, you would totally think that, that you would go, Oh, well, I remember being a PA and how terrible it was when somebody treated me badly. I'm going to treat this PA a little better, but nobody ever does. Now it's always just like fuck you. I got I got kicked in the nuts every day, yeah. and I'm gonna kick you in the nuts every day. Right. <laughs> um. And what you know? And it's like a, a freaking. I lose so much respect for people at work over that. Um. Because, you know, like at work when you're new, I don't I don't want to say quite hazing, but everybody dicks with you because it's not really like hazing. Cause that's too formal. But like everybody's just a jerk to you when you're new at my job, and. uh I remember this one guy, he got it the worst. Like, he was just such a huge jerk to ev or Like, everybody was just totally sh shitting him on all the time. He couldn't do nothing right. You know, even if he did something right, they'd shit on him for it. And they just yeah. treated him terribly. So he got through it. And then, like, three years later, we get a new guy. And there's three of us and the new guy. And me and the other guy are like, hey, we're not going to treat him real bad because we know he's getting it really hard everywhere else. And then the yeah. guy, the the guy who got picked on the worst. I mean, he's just relentless on this dude. And we're like, like I lost so much respect for him. I'm like, Man. <laughs> I was like, you were that guy just three years ago. You were that guy. Like you would think yeah. you would remember that and maybe apply it. But of course, the dude was an idiot and didn't last. He freaking washed out, did something stupid, and got fired. But I guess that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> that's usually how it works. Thank karma. Um. But, you know, it's also kind of like with eighth grade, you know, is I, we used to see that all the time where mm -hmm. remember if you remember when we, when we went to school in middle school, there was a lot of fights. You fought a lot. And mm. like I remember one time I beat a kid up and the reason I beat him up was because I got beat up the day before and this other kid got picked on too. Uh, I can't remember what his name was. Jason, I think. But anyway, you know, like I got picked on too, and he was me and him were both getting picked on, and we were like kind of friends because we were both getting picked on. So then I got beat up really bad on, let's say Monday. So then on Tuesday, he just randomly starts a fight with me, and I know it's because he thinks, oh, that kid can't fight. So if I beat him up, they'll pick up, they'll pick on him and not me. And of course, <laughs> it was like you know, it wasn't that I couldn't fight; I just couldn't fight as well as the guy on Monday. But I could fight better than this kid on Tuesday. And I'm like beating him up, and I'm like, "This is so terrible! Like, why am I?" And like, I actually like stopped, and I was like, "Dude, we were friends three days ago. Like, why did you start this big fight with me?" And he and he said, he said, you know, if if I beat you up, they won't they won't pick on me anymore. And I'm like, man, this, humanity's fucked. <laughs> you know? like, I was like, we're screwed. 
Middle school was the fucking worst. Yeah, uh, middle school. So I mean, I would. I, I mean, I would never. I never got into fights. I would just. Yeah. yeah. I think I would just get called. I think. I think we and it was usually me and Brian Green reading comic books, and we usually just called it. We always just. Uh, I think Brian would get beat up all the time. Yeah. In, in the locker room, but. Yeah, but the Brian was always snitching on kids, so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying I might have been one of the people who actually he he I I, did, I never beat Brian Green up. He probably won that fight, but I remember starting a fight with him because he freaking, you know, went and told on somebody and yeah. Uh, see, I suck too. I, I can't. I'm also terrible. I I feel bad about that. Like actually, you know, me and Brian Green are, are friends like on Facebook, and he's always like this. Mm. You know, the, the whole time. And you, you remember, he always has wanted to be like. Hey, let's hang out, and we're really good friends. Um, mm. and, like, I'll get drunk, and I'll be like, you know, I want to freaking send, you know, call old Brian Green up and tell him that I'm sorry for the way I've treated him his entire life, and that, like I'm a shit person for acting that way. Whenever all he ever wanted to do was be friends with me. Yeah, yeah, he was. He was always like, always like, wanted like be really cool, and like he just never was. Yeah. Like, which I understand. It's like, as always, <laughs> I was just like, I was even like less cool because I was like, I didn't even try. So yeah. I was just like, Fuck. Well, and you didn't talk. You didn't talk much either. Nah, I just read comic books with him and yeah, ate, ate a lot of food. I was fat. Well, I'm fat now, but you weren't. Yeah, we were, well, yeah, okay. We were chubs. Yeah. <laughs> Me and Brian were chubs for sure. Well, we got called, like, fag. in, in we got called faggot a lot, which is nice. Yeah. That's always a good one. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a good one. We called faggot was pretty much standard operation procedure. Yeah, I think, ah, cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's funny too, like, I, whenever I was, when the girls first started middle school, when they went into the sixth grade, mm. they were like, yeah, we're going to middle school. What was middle school like for you? And I didn't want to say, like, well, middle school was so terrible for me that there was a time in my life as an adult where I was living under a bridge I had no job. I had, like, literally nothing. I didn't have a car. I lived in not even a tent, like, in a freaking, uh, 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 whatchamacallit, sleeping bag. And I'd be lucky if I could find somebody who'd let me stay in their tent under the fucking bridge. And I remember laying there going, well, at least I'm not in the seventh grade anymore. Like <laughs> <laughs> the worst. Mm-hmm. It was awful, and I think that's probably how we should leave this. Uh, both the, anybody who's into like wanting to see kind of the new generation of of films, these two I think are really a good place to start to see that people are still keeping the um, genre alive and kind of breaking ground and moving forward with it. Uh, these two films are really good examples. And I, 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 read, I read when I was reading up on Thunder Road, it did really well in France, so. That's, nice. that's a good that, that's not, I don't think it did anything here but it, at least it did well overseas and, and, and is that cool. is kind of awesome because <laughs> the French are always ahead of us artistically as far as recognizing I mean maybe not so much Jerry Lewis but <laughs> I guess but I think Thunder Road's a good one they're, on, they're both on Prime so check them out they're really cool so yeah definitely alright well we'll figure out something for next week and um, we'll get back to you guys have yourself yeah. a good week <laughs> I'll see you. I'll see you. Peace. <laughs>